You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company. Here you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast. I am your host, John Hutsmith, and welcome back. Uh, I guess I should be welcoming back myself. This is the first time I've sat down to record a podcast in like two or three weeks because of my trip and, and pre-recorded episodes and all that good stuff. So uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm getting back in the saddle. So things are a little bit rough this week it's just because I'm trying to knock the dust off. It's been a little while. Um, but anyway, thank you guys for being here and listening to me talking to this microphone every week and uh, and just ramble on and try to educate and entertain you guys. So uh, I feel like I should have, you know, all these huge updates and stuff, but, um, you know, really all the updates I have for you guys are just what the episode is going to be. I'm going to be talking about my Iowa trip, or really I should say my ruckation, because I also, you know, threw Texas in there for a day. So ruckation really, uh, but obviously the main focus being my Iowa trip, where I hunted a full six days and spent more time in a tree stand than I ever have in my entire life. Um, yeah, lots and lots to say about that. Just just about the whole thing, you know, hunting a different place, hunting a state like Iowa, uh, spending that much time in a tree stand, hunting extremely mobile, which I, like, I thought I had done in the past, but nothing like I did this last week. And so, yeah, that's obviously what we're going to be covering today. Um, I did find it kind of funny. I, I was actually looking at my uh, notes from the trip, and uh, I keep a, I call it my hunting stats uh, note on my phone. And every year, I just kind of keep uh, you know track of some fun details, like how many sits I do, with what weapon, mature bucks, uh, hogs killed. This year, I'm going to try to keep up with uh, like duck hunts and, and ducks killed and all that good stuff. So just kind of a, a thing where I can go back at the end of the season and just kind of remind myself, refresh myself of, of how much I did or didn't hunt, you know, what I saw, just that type of thing. And one thing that is really odd for me this year is uh, I'm, I'm recording this on November 15th. So it's been roughly, you know, 45, 46 days of, of hunting season. And if you take the Iowa trip out of there or my ruckcation out of there, uh, this year I have only sat two times with my bow in Oklahoma. Uh, I sat one time in Texas with my uh, buddy that evening. Uh, I sat three times with my muzzle loader, and that is it. <laughs> that is it. So I've I've only had five Oklahoma sits. Um, I did one Texas sit before this trip, and then yeah, I went uh, out there for a day. So uh, just really, really 
weird to say that I've only hunted Oklahoma five times in 45 or 46 days. Um, all that's, you know, I, I did kill a buck uh, on my first sit and the other buck that I'm hunting is, is a ghost. Uh, he is out there. I am getting some pictures of the old 2% buck. Um, but obviously as usual, not in daylight, not consistent or anything like that. And so I just, I really haven't been hunting that hard this year because I'm just trying to play it safe with this 2% buck. And maybe that's a mistake. I don't know, but Anyway, we'll, we'll get into more of that later. Um, I just thought that was a, an interesting little deal. So um, as far as today's podcast, I'm going to do this a little bit different than my normal breakdown. So normally while I'm gone, uh, I'm, I have a note on my phone and I'm kind of keeping up with you know what I did and what I saw every day. And, and the breakdown is I just kind of go through those notes and talk about it. Uh, and I did that on this hunt as well. I, I have a, a big long note that I kept track of, but because I hunted so many days, I was afraid that would get a little monotonous if I was just kind of going day to day and saying I saw, you know, same bucks this day and that day. So, um, I'm really going to just kind of try to hit some high points and some kind of learning opportunities, I guess. And, and not necessarily like I made these huge monumental discoveries while I was gone hunting this other state, but just some stuff like, like, the difference between hunting you know, a true Midwestern state compared to Oklahoma, um, the terrain, the wind, uh, I learned a lot about thermals and how deer use the wind and stuff like that. Uh, so some cool things like that. So anyway, like I said, just kind of going to go through, hit some of the high points. Um, I really, oh, I don't know if I've mentioned this or not. Obviously by the title, you could probably tell I did not kill a buck. Um, but I will also say I am not sure that my Iowa hunting season is over just yet. Uh, I have not run this by my wife, but, uh, there is a chance I might be going back. So I'll get into that kind of towards the end. Um, but yeah, all that to say, yeah, just a lot to a lot to unpack here. So that's what we're going to be talking about this week. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we will get into the episode right after this. So I feel like the first thing I need to talk about on my 2023 rotation is just how amazing my wife is because she did not have to let me do what I did, and she took care of our child for like, I think I ended up being gone nine days, something like that, I have to count. And she did not complain a single time. She did not say, hey, hurry home. I'm getting frustrated or whatever. She didn't bother me. I mean, she like, you know, she called and stuff to check in and talk. Um, But there was like zero complaining the entire time. And to be honest, that made things way easier on me because I didn't feel any guilt or anything like that. And I've heard guys talk about it before how, um, you know, when you're going on a, a longer trip like this, you know, out of state or something, just how important it is to have things ride at home. And I can definitely vouch for that. And, and again, communication is key. You know, my wife knew for months ago that there was a very good chance that I was going to be gone nine days. Um, I was working up the honeydews, you know, before season, uh, I let her go on a couple, you know, girls weekends. Um, she also, like I said, she works at a church. So she goes on, you know, a couple of week long trips with the church. And so I had the kid, I didn't complain or anything like that. Um, sometimes I feel like parenting is just passing the kid back and forth. Um, but anyway, I I love my daughter. I love spending time with her. So it wasn't like a big thing. And my wife is the same way. So that made the trip way more enjoyable. Just knowing that things at home were good. So anyway, just want to throw that out there. So, uh, man, I don't remember the date, but it was like the 
Friday, November 3rd, something like that. I don't remember the exact day. So, I uh, had all my stuff packed, had the truck packed, went to work, and then I just left straight from work. Didn't even come back home. Um, had uh, That was the first big takeaway was just how much less stuff I took with me on this trip compared to like my elk hunt last year. And I don't know if you just need less stuff. I think a big part of it was just I'm so much more confident in my whitetail setup than my, you know, elk hunting stuff that I do once every two or three years. And I feel like on that elk hunt, you're just kind of preparing for the worst, but you also need to prepare for the the best. And so you're just bringing every, you know, like a, you know, on my trip, I took everything but the kitchen sink. And of course my truck got stolen and I lost it all. But, uh, you know, this trip, like I had, I had one tub with all my camo clothes, you know, trying to keep it kind of scent free. I had two other tubs with just kind of random stuff like, uh, you know, boots, uh, hand warmers, um, calls, you know, that type of stuff. And then I had like my suitcase, my bow, and, you know, a few odd and end things in the truck, like, you know, tree stand, uh, my tree saddle. But like, just like I shocked myself with how little uh, stuff that I brought. So anyway, I thought that was one interesting point. So headed out to Texas, met up with my buddies. There was four of us out there, and um, we had a great time, obviously, always do. Uh, went to Texas Roadhouse for dinner, got out there to the ranch. We had to put together a few things for Randy, like some chairs. Uh, he had bought like a bench for the, the ranger because it's just a one-row ranger. Um, so we uh, put together like a bench to go in the back so you have another row of seats. So, of course, as usual, ended up not getting to bed till about midnight, um, woke up at God, 4.45, 5 a.m., whatever it was, made a quick breakfast and headed out. And I've talked about it before, but this is the way that, you know, this place and most of those big ranches in West Texas and, and a lot of, in Western Oklahoma too, but you essentially have like your ranch road that cuts through the property. And then just ever so often you have like a blind and a feeder. And this is brush country, mesquites everywhere. Like if you, if you don't clear the mesquites with a dozer, you can't see. Like that's just kind of... The long and short of it. You're hunting feeders because that's about the only opportunity you have to, to see something. Um, so yeah, so basically you drive down the road. Every time you come to a blind, somebody hops out and you just keep going. The last person parks, hunts, and then you just do it in reverse at the end of the hunt. Um, so I actually got dropped off first. And the guy who was going to the end, he had actually already killed a buck out there during archery season. And so he was kind of hunting pigs, um, you know, looking for some does or something. Uh, and that's part of the reason he kind of went the furthest. And then my buddy Kelly was next, and then I was first. Randy actually went to a different property. He has a big deer over there that he was after, and that place he takes a little bit more seriously. You know, he doesn't just let us go run willy-nilly out there. Um, but anyway, so there was a, a good 11 point that they had been seeing at the spot that I was hunting. and uh, uh, But most of his, I think he has like six setups out there. All of them have a cell cam on them. But I think four out of the six, the raccoons had pushed the cell cam down or it was just like staring at the ground. And so at most of the spots, we we hadn't gotten any intel on in like the last week. So it was somewhat kind of shooting at the hip. But anyway, had a great morning hunt. Uh, I ended up seeing like seven or eight deer. My buddy Kelly shot a, a really nice buck that he, um, uh, honestly, he was much nicer than we thought. Uh, we thought he was about 130 inch deer looking at the pictures. And when he actually got him killed... Man, he was wide. I think he ended up being 20, 22 or 23 inches wide, uh, nine point. His his longest time was only like nine inches or something, but 
He had some mass, some width, a decent, you know, length throughout. So anyway, just ended up being a, a lot nicer buck than most of us thought it was going to be. Um, so most of the day we kind of spent taking care of his deer, you know, getting it out and cleaned up and everything. Watched some college football. Went back for the evening hunt and uh, kind of more of the same. And I, I was itching because I had already I'd talked to Randy and been talking about my route and you know wanting to prioritize Iowa. And so he even told me he's like, man, you need to leave Friday night. You don't need to wait until Saturday. I'm sorry, you need to leave Saturday night, not wait till Sunday, uh, because I really wanted to get to Iowa before it got dark so I could look around. I'd never stepped foot on the property or anything like that. And then one of the other guys that was there, Casey. Uh, he had to work um, Sunday also, so he was going to have to leave Saturday night. So anyway, hunted Sunday evening. Um, I was being probably pickier than I should have because I was about to leave. And, you know, like if I would have shot something, it definitely would have slowed me down. And so I actually saw a pretty decent eight point that under normal circumstances I might would have shot. But just trying to get on the road, he just he wasn't quite worth the hassle. So, um, so yeah, that was pretty much the Texas hunt. Uh, Kelly got a buck. Randy ended up not seeing the one he was after. I didn't see the 11 point, and that was pretty much it for Texas. So we went, got back to the house. Uh, I packed everything up, threw it in the truck, and just took off. Uh, funnily enough, I made it to Oklahoma City that night. And so after being gone, uh, I don't know, not quite 36 hours, 30 hours, something like that, I ended up staying at a hotel in Oklahoma City. Um, so yeah, anyway, I, I actually carried everything that was in the back of my pickup and plus my bow, I put on a little luggage carrier and carried it into my room because I wasn't going to have another, you know, elk hunt fiasco. So took it into the room, slept a little bit, um, woke up at, I don't know, like seven. I think I got to the hotel like midnight, 1230 or something like that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was, I was in a hurry, but I knew I was going to be up super early the next morning. So I wanted to sleep a little bit. And so I ended up getting like six hours of sleep that night, something like that. And, uh, but yeah, pretty much just woke up and took off for Iowa. And so, um, I was, you know, texting the, the guy I was hunting with and I'll go ahead and say his first name, Darren. Um, I'm going to just out of respect for him. I'm not going to talk about, you know, his land and stuff too much. Um, you know, I, I don't really care if y'all know where I went because it takes a lot of points to get there, but I do want to be respectful of him. But so anyway, so I'm talking to Darren and he was wanting to take his son hunting cause they've been farming hard. It was uh Sunday now. He doesn't work on Sunday. Um, and so he was yeah, text, texting me a pin of a stand that he thought would be good. Um, you know, I, I, he sent me his address, so I knew which farm, but I, you know, I'd already been looking at it on Onyx and everything and just talking to him a little bit more, and he, I already knew that he was going to let me have basically free reign of the land he has at his house, and then one other farm that he owned outright. A lot, and he has access to a lot more land than that, but it, a lot of it is like family land that he owns with his, you know, dad and brothers and stuff like that, and and basically, you know, they they have people that hunt, they hunt and everything, but he was nice enough to basically give me all the stuff that he personally owned you know, to myself, essentially. Um, so yeah, I was ex- as excited as could be, um, man, driving, driving through Northern Oklahoma and then into Kansas and then into Missouri. And like the closer I get, the more I'm just drooling. Like, it's just, it looks so deary. Um, you know, it's November. Uh, I'm passing so many other people with like ATV, like people you just obviously know are going hunting also. And, uh, 
So get into Missouri and then eventually cross into Iowa and I'm just drooling. And it's like, uh, I think I ended up getting there about 3.30, which was perfect. Um, I would have loved to have been there a little earlier, but uh, I think the sleep was worth it. And so get there and I, I don't even get to see him. Uh, he's, he's already hunting with his son. Um, but I knew where to go, so I, I go and I pull out into the pasture, and he had warned me that he, you know, had several stands that I was welcome to hunt, but, you know, he, he didn't know what kind of condition they were in. He hadn't checked the straps or anything like that. Again, he's been extremely busy, you know, farming, and they have cattle, and he, yeah, he, he has his hands in a lot of different baskets, and so, so I had brought several extra straps with me, and so my main goal for that first evening was to locate the stand he had sent me and change the straps and have it ready to go the next day. So um, I get out of the truck, you know, put my boots on, spray down real good. The wind is good, so I don't have to worry about boogering anything too bad. And uh, I, just, I just didn't want to go in that first morning, you know, having to shine a headlamp everywhere and, and try to find it and be making noise with the straps. So I just thought it'd be better to go ahead and get it done. So. Um, Basically, the way this place sets up, I feel like I need to talk about the kind of layout and topography first. And this is just southern Iowa. I'm not just talking about his farm. Uh, very, very similar to central and eastern Oklahoma. As far as like, you have pockets of timber, you have ag land. There was more just like cattle pasture than I expected, I think. I think when most people, including myself, think of the, you know, Iowa and Illinois and all that stuff, you just picture farm ground everywhere. But there was actually a decent amount of cattle production, cattle pasture, hay pasture. Um, but you do obviously have a lot of corn and soybean fields. And that was, I mean, 95% of it was corn and soybean. Every once in a while, you'd see like a little alfalfa. But for the most part, it was corn and soybean. Um, and, and again, just like in Oklahoma, like I said, you have, you know, pockets of timber, you got pasture, you have, you know, lots of trees along the creeks, you got brushy fence lines, extremely similar in that regard. The only difference is imagine like a sheet laying out on a bed and every so often you go and you pull that sheet up and it kind of makes that, that ripple that, you know, you pull up like a ridge and stuff. And then you go over about a foot to 18 inches and you pull it up again. And just imagine you did that over an entire bed that is southern Iowa. I was not expecting the terrain to be quite so steep and rugged. Uh, and, and and again, you know, it's not mountainous by any means, but it's it's big hills, like big big hills. Um, the the main ridge that I was hunting, I could look on Onyx right now, but I'm going to say it was probably 80 feet of elevation change. And and the way a lot of them are is like on one side it's a lot more gradual. <clears throat> and then you go down to that creek and then the other side is super steep. Like both the properties I was hunting were that way. Um, and just so happened, you know, it's obviously different in other places, but uh, just so happened that the two properties I was hunting, the steep side was on the west, which was good and bad. And we'll, we'll get into more about the wind here in a little bit. Um, so anyway, like I said, if you're, if you're just talking about kind of the makeup of the land, extremely, extremely similar to Oklahoma, just much more rugged and steep. Um, so yeah, so going back to the, the first evening, 
I you know go I walk through the cattle pasture I get to the creek and this guy has he has like my dream set up honestly because he he also you know has cattle on his place like there at his house there's no farm ground it's just cattle pasture but he uses the cattle in such a way to benefit his deer hunting and so like down along the creek where that big timbered ridge is he fences that off from the cattle so the cattle can never go go in there he has that you know just save for the deer but not only that so he's got a big creek you know and just like here there's a decent amount of sand so the creeks are kind of winding you have all these oxbows and stuff and i loved it because his fence that was between the pasture and the creek was not straight and you know, if my dad sees a crooked fence, it just gives him a migraine. Like it's got to be straight. Uh, but he uses the creek and that fence to pinch deer down. And so, you know, where that oxbow comes up to the east towards his cattle pasture, he'd do a little jut in the fence and you know create like a twenty to thirty yard gap. So if deer are walking down on that side, it pinches them down into bow range. And then the fence goes back and it goes straight a little way. And you know, at the next oxbow, he'll do it again. And just it was. It was designed by a cattle ranching deer hunter, like you could just tell. Um, so anyway, so I get down to the, the get down to the creek, and I got to climb the fence every time. That was kind of unfortunate. Um, and it's thick brush down there. Um, it's honestly, it's just as thick as the brush we have here. There just weren't as many thorns. That was kind of good. You know, you had some thorns, but you didn't have near as many green briars and and whatever those just vines with big thorns on them. Like I said, you had some. Uh, they do have a lot of the little, uh, like, sticky seeds. You know, not like stickers where it's real pointy, but the stuff that sticks to your clothes, that was pretty annoying. Uh, but anyway, so I'm, like, hands above my head, working my way through this brush, um, looking around. And I have a pin that he had sent me, um, so I'm just kind of working my way through. I finally see the stand, and I was thinking, you know, God, that I had brought all these extra straps because... All the stand or all the straps on these stands were in pretty bad condition, and so most of the stands I ended up using at least three. I, I would put two new ones on the stand and at least one new one on the ladder going up. Um, one thing that I noticed right off were the stands were really high, and I, I came to find out why. You know, I kind of figured it out later, but my first thought was like, "Holy cow, that thing is up there!" And uh, so I climb up change the straps up and everything and I didn't want to do any more I, I I wanted to do more scouting but I was going to give it at least one hunt because again it's kind of getting later I knew the deer could be moving and so I just want to get them changed locate the stand and get out of there um so I, I do that I change the straps I put a, a pull pull up rope on it and everything and um <clears throat> and I had a camera with me and my cameras ended up not working out um, I took two Tacticams, you know, cell cameras, and uh, I was thinking like, oh, like even if the, you know, if, even if I don't have service, they still normally work as a regular cam. Well, apparently both the cameras I brought got damaged in the tub that I had them in. I, I didn't take good enough care of them. And uh, I guess I messed up the antenna port from the, the YouTubing and, you know, reading online. I think I messed up the antenna port. Well, when you flip that camera on, because the antenna port was messed up, it would never register. And so not only did it not have service, it basically the camera wouldn't come on to e even take pictures um, because that port was messed up. And so I had brought two cameras with me, but those cameras ended up not working at all. So, But I didn't know that at the time. So I brought one camera with me, 
<clears throat> so I walked up the creek just a little bit, like maybe 40 yards or something, found a good trail, and I'm setting up the camera, and I'm, you know, waiting on it, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm waiting on it to come on and try to find service, and I look across the creek, and I can see a buck pushing uh, two or three does over there, so now I'm like, I'm really excited, uh, so camera, you know, I get the red light or whatever, I'm like, okay, no service, not a big deal, or at least I thought it wasn't a big deal, and back out, go to the truck, and go to the motel, and just kind of get settled in, um, quick story about the motel, uh, Midwestern people are some of the nicest people you will ever meet, and I, I know I'm a southerner, and I'm saying that, but like, I kid you not, I walk into the, the motel lobby, and this sweet old lady is just so happy to see me, and she's, uh, you know, she's giving me the layout of the town. She's telling me all the restaurants, what time they're open till. She's like, you know, if you're wanting a burger, go to this place. If you're wanting something a little different, go to this place. Um, I sign in and everything. She gets all my information. She's like, oh, like the key's in the room. We leave the, the doors unlocked. Just go in there and you'll know, grab the key off the desk when you leave. I wish I thought it was pretty awesome. Uh, I felt very, very safe. Um, so yeah, anyway, just a quick little story about the motel. So go to bed, wake up day one, I get into that stand and as the sun is coming up, like I just can't help but smile. Um, it was, it was literally like something you see on television and like they film a lot of television shows within just a couple miles of this place I was hunting. Um, the Lindsay's from the Lindsay way, uh, are close by, uh, the Kiskies are not too far away. Like I was in the heart of the heart of good deer area. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. But uh, So that first hunt, um, it was kind of slow, but I guess I should expect it. Again, I had done zero scouting, never stepped foot on the property, was basically just kind of having to take the, the landowner's word that this was a decent spot. Um, I, did see, I did see a buck, but the buck I saw was actually across the creek where I'd seen the deer you know, the evening before. And so I hunted till about 10, like I wanted to give it a good shot, um, but I, I purposely climbed down a little bit early, and I'm saying early in quotes because 10 isn't necessarily early, um, but I was I knew I wasn't going to do like an all-day sit that first day because I did want to do some scouting, and even though I knew I was going to you know, spread some scent and stuff like that, I just thought because I had so many days, and I, I ran this by a few other people and they all kind of agreed with me, because I had so many days... I, I thought it was more valuable to get a little boots on the ground and learn the area instead of just trying to stay completely out and guess. And so um, climbed down and basically I just walked down the creek on one side. Um, I found a couple scrapes, uh, found a lot of good trails, um, and then crossed the creek and came back on the other side. And I quickly realized that I needed to be on the other side of the creek, on the west side where, where the ridge was. Um, there was just, I mean, undoubtedly more deer sign over there, more trails, hev- more heavily used trails. Um, one thing on the trails that I learned is <coughs> the trails there were much more trustworthy um, because they, they don't have as many big critters as we do. Like a lot of these places, especially on like the farm ground, they don't have cows that are there, you know, making trails everywhere. They don't have two and three hundred pound hogs using these trails everywhere. Like usually, if you found a trail, it was a deer trail. Not to say that you know coyotes and other stuff wasn't using it, but they just don't have many other heavy things that are wearing these trails down. 
And so if you found like a heavily used trail, like it was worth setting up on. Um, And I know that kind of sounds like an oxymoron here, but I feel like here, you know, different places I've hunted and even, even on public land, like I've sat on what I would thought we would have thought is like a heavy trail and not seen a deer all day. If you had a heavy trail there, you were going to see a deer. Um, that And I have a story from the second day that really makes that evident. Um, shoot, I'll go ahead and say it. So on the second day, um, he had another farm that I had permission on. And uh, on the second day, we had an east wind. And I was just saying that I'd learned I needed to be on that west side, um, which means I really needed a west wind, which is one of their more dominant winds. But on the second day, we had an east wind. So I went to the other property that evening and... Um, and uh, I was walking in, I got completely blind. You know, he didn't tell me where anything was. He just said, hey, here's this property, go for it. Um, so I picked a spot that I, that I thought looked good for an east wind. And I'm trying to figure out how close to uh, the creek and there were some beans and stuff. And I found there was three, you know, pretty good trails. And so I went past the first trail and set up to where I could shoot to the other two. And I figured, you know, something went behind me on the other trail, I could get a shot. Once I got up in my stand, I was kind of looking at the, the trails again, and I realized that the trail that I had walked over and passed, where my wind was kind of blowing to, was way more worn down than the other two, and gosh, 90%, I, I saw a lot of deer that evening, I saw like 10 or 12 deer that evening, and I 90% of them at least came down that more worn down trail, including a, a very mature buck. Um, he was an older, like eight point heavy, uh, not, not a big, like high scoring deer, but very mature. Um, uh, so anyway, all that to say the trails were a lot more reliable there. Um, I didn't, I honestly didn't find many, like good scrapes. Um, I didn't find any, what I would say were fresh rubs. I found some old rubs. Uh, there were tons of little bitty scrapes, like dinner plate size. Um, and I watched several does and even young bucks make some little scrapes. But as far as like a scrape that you're like, Oh, I might want to hunt over this. I'm going to say I found three, um, the whole time I was there, you know, on two different properties and walking around quite a bit. Um, so I expected to see more deer sign in general. Um, but there's definitely like, again, going back, like the, I quickly learned that the trails are what you needed to look for and it, it paid off pretty good for me. Um, man, what else do I want to talk about here? I, I guess I should just go into the deer themselves. Um, I had, like I saw deer every day. I had deer in bow range every day, pretty much every sit. So that, that very first sit I was talking about, I only saw the one deer across the creek. I did my first little bit of scouting. And basically from that point on, like that second, or I'm sorry, that first evening until I left, like I could have shot at least a deer every day. Um, most days on average, I would say I had three to five different bucks within bow range. Count, I would say, I don't know about countless, but several does, Um, I think I had, I kept track for a while, but eventually I just lost track. I would say I had 25 to 30 different bucks in bow range. Uh, Like I'm talking 30 and under several at like 10 to 14 yards. Um, I rattled in three or four different deer under 20 yards. Um, 
they were just like I wasn't finding the mature deer. Um, and uh, I, I quickly, I wouldn't say quickly, about midweek, um, I figured out that my my blessing was also my curse. Like I had access to this amazing southern Iowa private land, two different farms. But because of that, I also felt like I didn't necessarily have the freedom to just shoot whatever I wanted. And this guy is super nice. And he told me, treat it like your own. Like, you know, I, he, he pointed out one deer. He asked me not to kill one deer that was, a, I think, a three-year-old. Um, but other than that, he, he you know, he, I don't think he would have cared. Um, but like that, the second evening, right before dark, I rattled. And I had this buck come charging in. He came to like eight yards maybe. And I kid you not, he was probably a 130-inch, two-year-old 11-point. Um, like if I was on public land, like I would have been very tempted, but just, I, I kept, you know, reversing the roles and I was like, man, if this guy came down to my place in Oklahoma and shot my stud 11.2 year old, like I, I'm a nice guy. I wouldn't like fight him or anything, but it would, it would kind of make me upset. You know, like that's not the deer you want them to shoot. And so I just kind of put that, that same mentality uh, on for me. And so like, I, I kind of made, uh, a decision for myself that I was not going to shoot one of his, you know, stud up and comers. Like I was only going to shoot a mature deer, which kind of stinks. Um, but at the same time, like that's why you go to Iowa also. And you know, if day four would have come around and I would have killed like a decent three-year-old or something, um, sure I would have filled a tag, but I honestly, like, I don't think I would have been happy with that deer knowing that, I could have gotten something better and that there were much better around. And, and I saw some of those too. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, so yeah, so day two and three, I was getting lots of action. I was learning a lot, lots of different bucks in bow range. Um, but it was, it was very warm for up there. Um, like most of those evenings I was going in in a t-shirt and I'd be sweating, you know, by the time I got my stand set up and everything, Usually I'd have to put like a sweatshirt, maybe my coat on uh, by the time the sun went down. But for up there, it was it was oddly warm. Um, and I think that kind of led to a lot of what I was not seeing. And it was really confirmed, especially towards the end of the week. You know, I got to, again, I had the landowner. I met his brother. I met one or two of his friends. I was talking to guys at the motel and the gas stations and stuff. And everybody was kind of saying the same thing, like, it just was not a very intense rut, and I think a lot of that had to do with the weather. Um, you know, towards the end of the week, we had a little cold front. I had a little bit of action, but overall, like, I think the coldest morning I had was maybe 29 degrees, which sounds cold, but like up there in Iowa where they hit negative 30, like 29 degrees is just not like cold, cold. Um, and so, yeah, I wasn't the only one struggling, I guess to say, and I know that kind of sounds like an excuse, but, um, yeah, it, it sounded like nobody was really having any luck. So, um, what else do I want to hit out? I do want to talk about the good deer that I saw. Uh, so it would have been on Thursday. So my fourth day of hunting, um, the landowner sent me a picture from one of his cell cams at like 3 a.m. that this 10 point that, uh, you know, he was really hoping I could shoot, um, had been in the area. And so I went back to the, the first farm and went in the morning and there was another one of his, uh, tree stands that was pre, you know, preset, but I had to change the straps out on. 
Um, sorry, I'm going to pause and back up just a little bit. I want to talk about, before I talk about the good deer, I want to talk about uh, being mobile and, and doing all the setup and stuff. So uh, I, I pretty much set up and took down at least one setup a day. Um, you know, I think there were twi- two days where like I set up a stand in the morning, left it and came back and hunted in the evening. But then after that hunt tore it down and even, you know, I'm talking about like he had a couple pre preset stands that I hunted. I think I hunted two or three of his stands, but I mentioned the straps already. And so even when I hunted one of those, it wasn't like I could just walk in there and get in it. You know, I had to put my harness and lineman's belt on and, and change the straps out and work on the ladder. A lot of them were kind of growing into the tree and they had like tilted. And so I was having to straighten them up, uh, adjust the platforms, like pull them up. And, uh, and so like, even when I was, you know, quote in a pre hung set, I was still having to make adjustments. And, uh, I, I did not realize how, how cozy and comfortable I had it hunting my own private land because that's one of my big things that I'm pretty anal about is like having everything completely set up, ready to go, you know, a month before the season starts so that when it comes time to hunt, I don't have to mess with that. You know, I don't have to risk spooking a deer. Like I park my truck, I walk in, I climb up and I'm ready to hunt. I don't have to mess with anything. And like I said before, pretty much every single hunt, I was having to mess with something, either, you know, hang a stand, hang my saddle, um, take a stand down, change the straps, adjust something. Um, and so, and, and that like, honestly, it, it took more of a toll on me than I realized. And kind of what brought that up is, you know, this morning that I'm talking about this morning hunt, uh, I had gone in, in the evening before, um, I thought, I can't remember if I hunted that stand or I just hunted really close to it. Um, or maybe it was at lunch or something. I think, I think that's what it, I, I think I was on my way to the evening hunt and I went ahead and stopped by the stand to change the straps out. Well, when I changed the straps, I put one of the hooks too high and didn't realize it. And that morning, you know, in the dark when it's super early deer about to start moving, um, I went to fold the seat down and the seat wouldn't go all the way down because I'd put that hook too high. So even that morning when I thought like just mentally in my head, I was like, sweet, all I have to do is go in there, climb in and hunt. It, it, it ended up not working out that way. And it wasn't that bad. Like I was able to, you know, hang on. I had my lines and rope, put it on real quick, undid the strap, the stand didn't move, you know, still had the other strap on it, lowered it down. But for some reason, like just like mentally it was so defeating that I had to do something when I didn't expect to have to do it. Um, and then obviously doing full hanging hunts, like, you know, I got pretty good, uh, at it by the end of the week, but, um, I just got so, <laughs> I got so sick of hanging that stand. It honestly, it wasn't, it wasn't hanging the stand. It was taking it down and having to pack it up and, you know, strap my sticks to the stand and everything to put it on my back. And I'd wear my stand on my back and I'd wear my backpack on my stomach, uh, because it wouldn't fit over the stand. And, uh, anyway, so yeah, just kind of a beating. So, all right, back to the big buck. So Thursday we had this cold front come through. It was one of the coldest mornings. I got in the stand. I had to change the strap out. And, uh, a lot of mornings the deer wouldn't start moving until about eight. Um, and so I'm sitting there, had some bucks and does come by, like some young bucks. And, and I, man, I, sorry, I can't tell this story without talking about the wind either. Um, the wind up there was crazy and, and apparently it was even a little bit more crazy than usual 
but it, it wasn't that unusual. Every day the wind was different, and and you just never knew what it was going to be. Like I've talked about it on here, at our place we either have a south southeast wind or a north wind. Like on a normal day, it's south or southeast. If we get a cold front, it comes from the north. Like that's pretty much it. You know, if the front's moving in and out, you might have a little east wind for a bit or a little west wind for a bit. But I I pretty much set everything up for either a north or a south wind. This <laughs> up there, you just never knew. We literally had eight different wind directions in the eight days I hunted. Um, you know, it, it was west one day, it was east, it was northwest. Um, I mean, in like in the same day, it'd be like northwest in the morning and then southeast in the evening, and then the next day it'd be west. Like you just had no idea. And then all the giant ridges just made it even worse. And like uh, there was one day, it was like the third day or something we had a west wind and so i went over there to hunt and i kid you not like i'm facing west you know nose to the wind type of thing and i don't know how many times i was sitting there but the the wind is hitting me literally in the back of the head right now um it's swirl you know i'd have deer that like it there there should be no way that these deer should smell me like they'd be like upwind and to an angle and all of a sudden you see them kind of put their nose in the air and like look straight at me and uh, I, had, I had brought my Ozonics. Um, actually, I forgot my strap for my Ozonics. And so I was actually, I got to where I was carrying in my camera tripod and strapping the tripod to the tree and using that to hang my Ozonics on. Because I like it, the Ozonics has the same thread as a video camera does. It got that ridiculous. Um, I had Nose Jammer. I'd never used Nose Jammer before. I'm a big proponent of it now. I think it worked really well. Um, for those who, who don't know what that is, um, it's basically it's like an aerosol can. And it, but instead of being a cover scent, it's like a supercharged scent. And it, it, it smells like vanilla. And the thinking behind it is basically that that vanilla scent is so strong that they don't smell the human. And, and again, I, I kind of think it works. Um, but you know, I'd spray and an hour or two later, it'd kind of wear off. And so anyway, back to the, <laughs> back to the story for like the third time. So sitting there eight o'clock deer start moving. Um, I had two does and two or one buck, uh, work by me already. And again, like they'd kind of, they'd put their nose in the air a little bit, maybe kind of look my direction, but they'd work through it. And then, uh, so I had two does and one buck kind of to my right and I'm facing the ridge and then I, I'm still looking to the left because pretty much all the deer had been coming from my left, uh, the south. And I, I see movement, and uh, I'm looking. I was like, all right, it's a small buck. And then I see something else move behind it. Can't see it really well, so I'll put my binoculars and realize very quickly that it's this 10-point that he had sent me pictures of. And this is probably, I'm going to say, 160-inch 10-point, wide, heavy, tall. And one thing about these deer, like, they're... Their body size, it wasn't quite as big as I imagined, but they were definitely bigger deer. Like, you know, a big buck where I'm at is like 250 pounds. It's nothing for these deer there to get over 300 pounds. And so you kind of have to adjust your scale. Um, but anyway, so this deer, he's coming in and uh, and he's just coming straight for me. And I got my bow in hand, binoculars are up. I've already ranged all these different paths and stuff around me. And I kid you not, this joker turns, and he doesn't follow the trail in front of me. He literally turns to come straight at me. And he gets behind 
the only tree in this whole bottom that still had its leaves on. And all of a sudden he stops and starts and basically just looks straight up at me. And uh, he's at about 40 yards. I can see his face in his rack. Can't see his body because it's behind the tree. And I, I'm just dead still. And I really thought I was going to get a shot at him because even though he was kind of on alert, I thought he was going to take a few more steps to kind of like double check. Because again, like he's he's technically not downwind of me. The wind is just swirling. And so I really thought he was going to come a little further to try to get a better scent and I was going to be able to shoot him. But he didn't, of course. So he he literally like walked backwards two or three steps. I think he knew he could get behind that tree. Um, but he, he didn't spook like he, he knew something was up, but he didn't spook. And he basically just did a big bubble around me. So he went up the ridge, worked in front of me and then came back down to where those does and young bucks were. Um, and so I'm watching him there, I, you know, still got my bow. I'm thinking maybe he might chase one of them by me, but he, he honestly wasn't that interested in them. Like he didn't. He didn't go up and, and nose him, try to scent check him, really. He kind of just walked down there, looked at him for a second, and then took off and walked up the, the other ridge. So I'm watching him walk away, and uh, I tried to grunt at him a time or two, didn't pay any attention to it, keeps walking off. And uh, I'm like, man, I, I can't just let this deer go. Like I got to try something. And I should have tried to snort wheeze. I didn't think about it at the time. So while these deer are still like 30 yards away, reach into my bag, grab the rattle bag, and do a little rattling sequence. And did it, you know, 20, 30 seconds. Uh, the other did it, didn't spook. They just kind of stood there like, oh, like I guess somebody's fighting over there. Um, so put it, put it back in my bag, not seeing anything, was just about to give up hope, and all of a sudden I see this guy literally running down the hill in my direction. So my heart gets all excited again. I grab my bow. I pick up my phone, which is probably not a smart idea, but I grab my phone, zoom in a little bit, trying to get you know, a picture, some video of him. I got a, a bad, grainy, far-off video, and he starts walking like he's going to walk in front of me. So I put my phone in my pocket, and there was this one shooting lane that I had ranged multiple times at 38 yards, and there, there was like a log, and you know the log kind of funneled him in the trail in front of it, and uh, so I was mentally in my head I'm staying calm I'm like all right I need to try to stop him here so he stops in this gap and he's walking straight towards it and then for seemingly no reason whatsoever he's kind of veered to his right and started going up the ridge again and he passed through one opening Uh, I ranged the tree that he walked in front of at 51 so he was probably 48 something like that Um, but I would have had to stop him and I'm just, I'm just not going to take a 50 yard shot at a, you know, fully alert whitetail. Um, I'm just not comfortable doing that. And so for a second time, I watched him walk out of my life. I tried to throw a grunt or two at him, but just like before he just completely ignored it and went away. So, um, so yeah, but that was awesome. So a couple more deer, uh, none of the other deer spooked or anything, and so now I'm thinking, again, I was in, you know, one of the landowner stands. I was like, all right, he obviously knows that this stand is here. We got the picture of him the night before. I saw him twice this morning. Like, he's in this area. I just got to make a move. So that was the morning hunt. I go back to my truck, you know, have lunch and everything. Bring in an, uh, my lone wolf stand. Um, another thing on the mobile real quick. So I had my saddle and my stand. I found myself taking my stand in nine times out of 10. I think I did two hunts out of my saddle. Just so much more comfortable, 
not that much more weight, not that much more trouble to put up. And when I was doing these like four hour long sits, just so much more comfortable than the saddle. If I was doing quicker hunts, not so close together, I definitely see the appeal of the saddle and I, I will continue to use the saddle. But man, for these long, long rut hunts, I, me personally, you just can't beat a tree stand. So anyway, so I have my sticks and my lone wolf stand and I just move probably 50 yards to the south, the direction where all the deer had been coming from, <clears throat> because I realized they were following the base of the ridge. And then once they got to this certain point, then they'd kind of fuddle out into this bottom and they were eating acorns and, and, you know, leaves and browse and stuff. Um, but for some reason they would always stay up against the ridge until they got to this point. And so I basically moved south enough to where I could shoot that trail, you know, before they kind of broke out. Um, so set the stand up and everything that evening. Um, it, it warmed up like we had a nice cold morning, but it still warmed up that afternoon. And so I think I saw, I ended up seeing like five or six deer, but, um, it was probably, I, I want to say I got in at like two 30 that day, got set up. I think I saw a doe at like three fifteen. Um, so I'm just sitting there, it's pretty slow and I, I catch movement to my left and I look over and I just see kind of a bigger body, like a bigger body than what I'd been seeing on most of these deer. So pull out my binoculars and I see the body, can't see the rack starts walking and it's pretty thick so I'm looking for an opening and finally this deer walks through an opening and I realize it's an even bigger buck than the one that I had seen that morning um he was I'm pretty sure he was a six by five but his g2 on the five side was a split uh to make him basically a six by six and I'm gonna say I didn't get a real good look at him but I know he was bigger than the first deer I'm gonna say he was probably 170 inch deer somewhere in there pushing that Um, and this deer, I never really figured out what happened with this deer because once again, he was even, he was further away and less quote unquote downwind than the, the big buck that morning. But he kind of went up the ridge about halfway and he was looking down in that bottom and I couldn't quite figure out if he was looking at me or if he was just trying to see if there was any deer down there that he needed to go check out. Um, cause again, he was probably 80 yards away, kind of looking in my direction, but I was literally down in the bottom and he ended up not coming down. He ended up just kind of working up the ridge. I tried to call him no response whatsoever. <coughs> um, and in the moment I, th- I thought for sure he had smelled me just kind of the way he acted and where he went. And I hadn't really seen any deer do that. Like all the deer I'd been seeing, you just came right down there at the bottom of the ridge but I ended up and hunted. I went back the next morning and hunted that same stand, my, the one that I had hung. And that ne- morning, uh, I saw a lot of deer do exactly what he had done. They, they like basically, I was just far enough down the ridge that I could see them doing that. I think in the other stand, I just couldn't see them. Um, so I saw a bunch of deer that morning. A lot of them were on that trail, you know, eighty so yards away. Um, and so, but it. Again, like I, I, I honestly couldn't tell you if he smelt me or if that was just the trail he wanted to be on and, and I wasn't on it. So, so those were the two big deer that I saw. Um, Friday, I ended up going, what did I do Friday? I think I, I hunted that property just in various other spots uh, on Friday. And then Saturday, my last day, I went back to the other property um, just because I felt like I'd kind of been wearing that one out. Um, and 
you know, I was basically just hunting along this creek. And so even though the property was like 120 acres, I was really only hunting about, gosh, 30 acres of that. And so I was trying to kind of bounce around. I was bouncing back and forth between the two properties. The other property was about 200 acres. And I would say it was more like 60 acres of it was, you know, huntable. The rest was uh, a cut cornfield that had already been harvested and everything. Um, but man, like I said, lots of deer, lots of opportunity. Um, <clears throat> you know, one, one thing I felt before I run out of time and forget, um, one of the craziest experiences that I had all week was when I went to dinner with the landowner and his brother. And again, they have access to a lot of property, but just hearing them talk about the deer that they and their neighbors and people they knew had killed in the area, um, you know, I, I think Oklahoma is a great state. Um, I think there's a lot of great states out there. I think you can find big deer anywhere you go. Um, I mean, you know, there's, there's been 200 inch deer killed all over the country now, but the consistency and the size that these guys were talking about were, they were on another level. Um, you know, we were looking at maps and stuff and he's like, yeah, I killed my 216 here. I killed my 190 here. Um, he like, there was a guy, uh, paying for his food at the counter. He's like, oh, that's so-and-so. He used to work for Midwest Whitetail. He killed a 236 here. Um, there was a 250 hit on the road just outside of town here. And like, like, I, you know, I feel like a lot of times the goal around here, or, or when you do hear of a 200-inch deer killed around here, it's like, you know, a 204, a 206. They're just talking like 220, 230, like I said, even a couple like 250s. Um, and it, it just everywhere. And, that you know, that was one thing I kind of learned when I went to the Iowa Deer Classic. I, I, on average, most people are not killing year in and year out much better deer than you know, a lot of people in Oklahoma kill, you know, they're killing a lot of one forties, one fifties, one sixties, but almost all of them also do have like a two twelve that they killed, you know, a couple years ago, or, you know, maybe their buddy, uh, hit a two thirty with their truck or something like that. And so, um, it, it really was cool. And, uh, he, he took me to his, you know, kind of trophy room in his house and, uh, got to see all his big deer. The craziest thing to me was just the mass um, he had like, there was one spot where he had five bucks all lined up and they weren't even his five biggest. If anything, they were kind of five of the smaller ones. And, uh, I think there was only one deer out of those five that I could like wrap my fingers around the bases and touch. Uh, in fact, when, before I even saw those deer, like when I was having dinner with him and his brother, uh, you know, that's, that was one thing I'd kind of talked about. I was like, yeah, I feel like one of the big differences is the mask. And they asked me, you know, they were just as curious about where I hunted as I was where they, um, we had, we had a 45 minute talk about hogs. Um, but anyway, they were asking me like what a good deer was. And I was like, you know, I've, I've been fortunate and I've killed, you know, some, uh, last couple of years I've killed some one fifties and stuff, but, but I was like, man, we don't have mass. And, uh, I was like, I've never killed a deer that had bases over five inches and they both like laughed out loud like couldn't help themselves like spit their drink out type laugh um and uh and they like uh, again like that was almost unthinkable to them that i had never killed a deer with over five inch bases um so 
yeah, I mean, it, it was really cool. You know, they weren't rude. They were the nicest guys in, in the world. It was just different. You know, like I told them, I was like, man, if you kill a really big deer down where we're at, a lot of times it's because of just length, you know. Obviously, you know, people have killed bigger mass deer. Um, but again, on average, it's because you got like a 14-inch G2 and 12-inch 3s or something like that. It's It's not because you have nine inch mass measurements you know at the base so man what else um super nice folks super cool layout um my biggest challenge definitely on this trip was the weather um it was warm and it it took me several several days to figure out the wind just how it works in in those big hills how it came off the ridges uh thermals uh, it, it was a big challenge, and not, like, I, I kind of knew that going in, but it was a much bigger challenge than I had anticipated. So, um, I think I, I teased during my intro that, that my Iowa season might not be over. So, the second property that I was hunting, um, he has a big bean field, and he just leaves it for the deer. He doesn't harvest them. And I had kind of already, you know, when he got to, towards the end of the week, and I was kind of losing some hope. Um I'd kind of been thinking, like, what if I could come back late season? Um, but I felt a little weird bringing it up. I wasn't sure how he felt about it. Um, but before I left, when we were saying our goodbye, he was like, man, he's like, don't be afraid to come back. And uh, he, he mentioned, he's like, man, I have this bean field. He's like, if we get a big, heavy snow, I'll give you a call, and you can come back and, and try again. So so there is some hope. I'm, I'm not giving completely up on Iowa. Uh, there is some a chance I could go back. Um, one other thing that I just thought of, uh, that I I really wanted to cover was the, the mental battle of this week. And I I was in good spirits. Like I, um, you know, like I, I felt every time I went out that I had a chance to kill something, maybe not the last day. I kind of, I lost a lot of hope by the last day. Um, but even day four, day five, I was still like, man, like it could happen. It's November. It's the rut. Um, I'm in Iowa. Like it could happen at any moment. Um, but for me, one of the biggest mental challenges was just being so tired. Um, I have never hunted that many days in a row for anything. Um, you know, even when I go on like a week long elk hunt, a lot of times that ends up only being like four to four and a half days of actual hunting. Cause you have so much travel on there. Um, I hunted one day in Texas and then I drove and then I hunted six days in a row and I was in a tree stand at least seven to eight hours a day, every day. I was waking up at, you know, 4.45 a.m. because the time change had happened. Um, it'd get dark about 5.30. Um, after it got dark, you know, I'd have to get dinner. I'd have to, you know, do the whole regiment because I was trying to be scent free. So I was running, um, you know, my Ozonics scent bag. Um, obviously I was having to shower, um, get my, my gear packed up for the next day, figure out where I was going, check the wind, make sure I had everything in my bag and, and, you know, wake up early and do it all over again the next day. So, um, it, it was, it was really mentally challenging and very exhausting. Um, I think my Instagram stuff went way down by the end of the week. And it was honestly just because I was tired. I didn't know what else to say. It's like, all right, here I am again you know, sitting in a tree again, waiting. Um, it was a big mental battle and I already mentioned, you know, I, I, uh, drove home on Sunday, got home pretty late 
and they just had to jump right back into life. And so, um, man, all that to say, I encourage you to, to do a trip like this. Um, start getting your points. I know it's daunting, but I was there, you know, six, seven years ago, whenever I started this thing, I was like, man, that's so far away. That's so much work. Uh, I don't even know where I'd go if I did draw the tag. All I can say is you might as well start now. Um, the points are honestly not that expensive. It's $50 for a point in Iowa right now. Um, and you don't have to save up for five or six years to go where I uh, went. You know, you can go to other parts of Iowa with like two to three points. Um, you know, if you go further west or north. Uh, for me, really a big part of why I ended up hunting was where I hunted was because I just had other trips getting in the way. Like I had three points where I could get a decent zone, but uh, gosh, what a, I don't remember what hunt I went on three years ago. And then last year I had four points, but I'd already planned to go on my elk hunt and I couldn't do two big trips in the same year. So I was like, well, I'll just get another point. So then I wound up with five. And by the time you get five, you can just about hunt anywhere you want to in the state. So, so yeah, encouragement for you. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're young, old, whatever. Um, you just got to start now. Um, same with any state, you know, I'm up to five or six points in a couple of the Western states for like elk and mule deer. And it's just because I made the decision to just start. Um, so make yourself a spreadsheet, keep track of your different states and your points and everything. And you just got to get out there and do it. So, so yeah, that's probably it for this week. Um, I feel like maybe in another episode, I want to go more into the mental side. I kind of saved that for last and I'm out of time now. Um, but man, like I said, do this hunt. It was awesome. I do not regret it whatsoever. I am actually not heartbroken that I didn't get anything because I went in there with a standard and I stuck to that standard. Again, like I could have killed 30 different bucks, but I just knew that those bucks weren't going to make me happy and they were not going to accomplish my goal. And I wasn't just going to kill something just to fill a tag. So, so I can hang my head high. Um, I 100% know that I gave it my all. Um, I did not climb down early a single time. I did not oversleep a single time. I spent so much time in a dang tree. It is just ridiculous. So feel good about the week. Um, if you have any questions, reach out to me. My throat is starting to hurt because I'm out of practice doing these podcasts. So I'm going to let y'all go. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. There is still so much content upcoming. We are just getting into uh, duck season and varmint season. There's still, uh, gosh, two months basically of deer season. So a lot of stuff upcoming. Thank you guys for tuning in. I love you guys. And until next week, I will see y'all right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast.